You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, it is middle of the summer here in Oklahoma City, and it is vacation time. I, I read something recently that I thought you might find interesting a couple of months ago, and, and that is that uh, it compared the average vacation days from country to country. So, for example, in Italy, the average worker, the average worker gets 42 vacation days a year. That's almost eight weeks. And, and like it in France, the average worker gets like 37 vacation days a year. Um, in Japan, with such a strong work ethic, the average worker gets 25 vacation days a year. And so that's the average. Some get more, some get less. That's like five weeks. In the U.S., we, we are the least. We get 13, on an average, vacation days a year for the average worker. So that's like two and a half weeks worth of vacation. So I don't know. You might want to go to work tomorrow and just say to your boss, hey, what is up with Italy anyway? You know, what's going on? That they get all of this vacation time and we don't. What, what it tells you is this, that the people in the United States of America who work, work a lot of hours. The people in the United States of America who work, work a lot of hours. But we have also become people of leisure. So when I was a young pastor about 25 years ago and I was going to seminars, you know what forecasters were telling us? They were telling us that here's what's going to happen. Time is going to become a highly valued issue in, in, in the United States. Uh, time will be highly valued. And, and that when you compare that with the fact that people are able to make money, they were saying it's going to have a huge impact on church life. Because what's going to happen is people have a little bit of time, but they have money to do things. And they said, so on weekends, people are just going to become very leisurely. And so I sat there as a young pastor 25 years ago with some of my buddies. And I remember we kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I don't know if that's the way it's going to be or not. Let, let me ask you, you, you live in this society, you function in this culture. Do you feel the tension of time? And do you sometimes struggle to give time to the important things? I mean, we know what the important things are, right? We've been talking about it lately. Somebody said to Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus says the most important commandment is to love your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbors, yourself. Jesus says God is important and people are important and he doesn't put anything else on the list. And so do you find a struggle in your life to give priority time to the important stuff? When Jesus talked about the struggle, he said it like this. You are in the world, but you're not of the world. And when Paul talked about that struggle, he said, do not f conform rather to the patterns of this world. And so just because I function in this society and I live in this culture doesn't mean that I act like my culture. Sometimes I live counter to my culture. So when you get to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talks about the important stuff. 
And so what I would love for you to do is open your Bible. And, and this is one of those Sundays that I would say this to you. We always put the words on the screen, but you might want to open your Bible. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you might want to grab one from the rack in front of you. And then after the scripture is read, you might want to just leave it laying open in your lap for a while. Because I think that as we work our way through these 12 verses of chapter 4, that you might find yourself looking back again and again at what Paul is saying, okay? So let me, let me think with you just for a minute about 1 Thessalonians. You might remember that in the book of Acts chapter 16, Paul believes that God calls him to Macedonia. He has this vision. And so while he is in Macedonia, he finds himself in the community of Thessalonica. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 17. And so he's only there for three weeks, just three weeks. And he has literally run out of town after being there for three weeks. You got to go. And he, and he flees for fear of his own life because he's been preaching the gospel. And so he begins to wonder about the people back at Thessalonica. I was only there three weeks. Can you plant a church in three weeks? I mean, think about it. If we were going to plant a church like an hour from here, we would never think of sending somebody there for three weeks. We would say, no, you got you to go for five years, you know, if you're going to plant a church. And so Paul wonders to himself, I wonder if any of those people back in Thessalonica, I wonder if any of them are still standing firm in the faith. And so he sends a friend, Timothy. Timothy, go to Thessalonica and see if you can find anybody still standing firm in the faith. And so Timothy comes back and it's good news. Paul, everybody is standing firm in the faith. Not only are they standing firm in the faith, but they're adding people to their number. It's going well. And so in these first two letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Paul writes those young Christians and he wants to deal with some issues in their lives. And one of the issues that he confronts in the passage I'm going to read to you in a moment is sexual immorality. And so here we go, 1st Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. We'll read through the first 12 verses, okay? Finally, brothers... We instructed you how to live in order to please God. I know I shouldn't just pause and, and, and comment when I read scripture, but, but that's, that's pretty unbelievable right there. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how you to live in order to please God. You ever walk into church on Sunday morning and say, hey, Rick, just talk to me about how I can live my life in order to please God. I mean, that's what I want to know. Give me some basic Christian instruction, okay? Talk to me about how to live my life in order to please God. So we instructed you how to live your life in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So it's not the kind of thing where we pat you on the back and say, hey, good job, you did great, you're finished, you did it well. No, you did it, now do it some more, okay? Keep keep living that kind of life, do it some more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will. You ever wonder what God's will is for your life? Hang on, you're about to hear it, okay? It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. Why does he pick that one sin to talk about here? That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable 
not in passionate lust like the heathen people who don't know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. As we have already told you and warned you, for God did not call us to be impure, but what did God call us to do? God called us to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man. Paul says, if you reject this instruction, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting God, okay, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, he changes the subject in a sense about brotherly love. So we're kind of going to a new conversation about brotherly love. We do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you all love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. Again, it's not on the pat in the back. You guys did good. No, keep on doing this, what you're doing. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. This is the third time he's entered into a new conversation. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. So that's where that comes from. I've heard that all my life. I didn't know the origin of that. (laughs) To mind your own business and to work with your hands. Why does he say work with your hands? Why is that important? Just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, people who do not confess Jesus as their Lord, and that you will not be dependent on anybody. So this is God's word for us today. Let me, let me just tell you that over the last few years, as I read the New Testament, I read through a particular lens. And so when I read a passage like this, here's how I think, okay? I read the words, live your life in order to please God. And I think to myself, okay, Paul is talking about my relationship with God right here, okay? He's talking about my relationship with the Lord. And then when I hear him say things like, and you should love one another, I'm saying, okay, so Paul's talking about my relationship with you, my relationships with other believers. And then I hear Paul say something like this, live your life in such a way that you will win the respect of outsiders. I'm going, okay, now Paul is talking about my relationships with people who do not confess Christ, who do not profess to be Christians. And so I don't, I don't think living the Christian life is about religion. I don't think it's about keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. I think living the Christian life is about relationships. I think it's about my relationship with God made possible through Jesus Christ. I think it's about my relationships with you. And I think it's about my relationships with people who do not know Jesus. I think that's what it means to be a Christian, to focus on those three relationships. And so I think that if I'm going to be a good pastor, I have to stand up on occasion and I have to look in the eye and I have to say to you, so how are you doing in those relationships? Talk to me for a minute about your relationship with God. How's it going? Do you spend time talking to God? Are you spending time in the Word? Do you pray? Are you living your life in in obedience to God? How about your relationships with other believers? 
Who do you pray for? Who do you pray with? Who do you study God's word with? Who do you hold accountable? Who do you disciple? Who prays for you? Who prays with you? Who studies God's word with you? Who holds you accountable? Who disciples you? And how about your relationships with people who don't know Jesus? Who are you building those friendships with? Who do you pray for? Who have you invited into your life? Who do you invite into faith conversations? Who are you inviting to church? How are those relationships going for you? Last week, I got to spend time with a very close friend of mine, and we were talking about all of life in several hours that we spent together. And at some point, we began to talk about his teenage high school daughter. And I said, how's she doing? And he said, oh, she kind of got her feelings hurt maybe a little the other day. She's doing pretty good. She had an incident with a friend that was kind of hard for her. And I said, well, what happened with her friend? And he said her parents were out of town. And she invited a bunch of high school kids over to her house. And so she called my daughter, invited her over to her house. But when my daughter got there, it was all high school kids and there was quite a bit of alcohol in the house. A lot of the kids were drinking. And so he says, my daughter kind of pulls the girl whose house they were in to the side and said... Hey, c- come here a minute. I want to I say something to you. And kind of got off in the corner where nobody else could hear. And she said, why did you invite me here? And she said, I wanted you to come. She said, but you know, this is not me. And she said, oh, just, just stay. You'll, you'll have fun. And she said, you know what? I'm, I'm not mad. And I know you're trying to include me, but, but, but I'm not going to stay. I'm going to go back. It's just not who I am. And so my friend says, 45 minutes later, she comes back into our house. And we look at her and we say, what's up? Why did you come home? And he says, when she tells us, I'm sitting there in my living room and tears are dripping off my cheeks because I'm so proud of my daughter that I don't know what to do. Would, Would you just kind of hold on to that for a minute and let me refer back to it two or three times here in the next few minutes? When Paul talks to these people, these brand new Christians in Thessalonica, here's what he says to them. I want you to live your life in order to please God. That's how I want you to live. I, I, I love studying the word live that Paul uses. It's peripateo, and here's, here's how it's translated. Sometimes it's translated walk, okay? Walk in such a way, or walk. And so, I don't know how to do it other than this, but I'm just going to start walking because I think if I start walking, it maybe makes a little more sense to you. What the word really means is how you regulate your life, or how you control yourself, or how you conduct yourself. It's really how you walk along through life. And so what Paul is saying is, you know, the, the, the way that you walk, the way that you live, just conduct your life in such a way, just, just please God with the way you live your life. I, I, I grew up owning Sunday shoes. My, my mom would say to me on occasion, Ricky, we, we got to buy you some new Sunday shoes. The, the reason we called them Sunday shoes is because as a kid in Kentucky, 
I had no other reason for ever putting those shoes on unless I was going to church. And so I don't, I don't know, you're a pretty young crowd, but anybody in the room ever grow up owning Sunday shoes? Did you ever call them that? Oh, look here. We, look at this. My goodness alive. Oklahoma and Kentucky have a lot in common, don't they? Sunday shoes. They were for Sunday. This is God's will for you. That you should be sanctified. You know what that word means? Hagiasmas. It simply means to be set apart. Like Sunday shoes. What are those shoes for? Well, I wear them to church on Sunday. That's the only time I ever wear them. What is your life all about? Oh, my life is all about honoring God and pleasing Him. My, my life has been set apart for that purpose. That, that's what I do with my life. And that's all I do with my life. That's it. My life is about honoring God. I have set my life apart for God's use, for God's purpose. And that's what I do with my life. I just try to honor God and please Him with my life. My life has been sanctified, set apart for that purpose. And that's why a little high school girl says to a friend, Why did you invite me here? It's just not me. This is not what I do with my life. And she didn't use that language that night, but what she was trying to say was my life has been sanctified for God's purpose and God's use. I don't do other stuff with my life. My life has a very specific purpose, and so this is what I do with it. It feels like he's picking on one sin when he says, therefore... Avoid sexual immorality. Live your life to please God. It is God's will that you would be sanctified. So avoid sexual immorality. Why did he not say, avoid being greedy? Don't give your life to love and money. Give your life to pleasing God. Or why didn't he say, don't steal? Don't give your life to taking from others, but give your life to please. Why did he say, avoid sexual immorality? Don't live in passionate lust. Why did he use that language? It almost makes you a little uncomfortable. Did you know the word that Paul actually uses in the Greek language that we translate in two words, sexual immorality, is one word for him. And do you know what the word is? Pornia. Pornia. It's where we get our word pornography or pornographic. Here's why he brings it up. How long was he in Thessalonica? Three weeks. He's got baby Christians there, right? Let me tell you about Thessalonica. These people are living in a society where sexual morality is an unknown virtue. Divorce is easy. You can divorce your wife just by giving her a letter of divorce. You don't even have to have a good reason. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not making this up. I promise you, you could divorce your wife because she put too much salt on the dinner. Honestly, if you didn't like the way she spiced your food, you could divorce her. It was that simple. It was that easy. Nobody asked any questions. And what do you do? You take another wife. And then you take another wife. And not to mention the prostitutes that you might use or a mistress that you might have. Sexual morality was an unknown virtue. 
And so the Apostle Paul says, this is your struggle. This is your weakness. This is your point of temptation. And you've got to run from it. So you say, Rick, how do I take this passage and apply it to my own life? I think we know what their problem was. Here's the question you have to answer. Where is my weakness? Where am I tempted? Where do I struggle? Some of you are looking at me saying, believe me, sexual immorality is not a temptation for me. That is not my problem, buddy. So what is your problem? And here's what Paul says. So live a holy life. The same word that he used in sanctified, hagiosmos, we now translate holy. So live a holy life. Live your life set apart for God's purposes. It's a high school kid that says, this is not what I do with my life. To the best of my ability, I'm trying to live my life to honor God. And Paul says, some of you guys are doing this really well, so just keep doing it. It's not like we're going to pat you on the back and say, good job, you finished. No, you keep doing it. And so he says, do it all the more and more. Since we've talked about your relationship with God, Paul says, would you mind if we just took a couple of minutes and talked about your relationships with one another? So we've been talking about your relationship with God. Now let's spend just a few minutes and talk about your relationships with each other. Could we do that? I, I, I ran into an old buddy this week, a pastor, and I remembered a story that he told me and we chatted about a little bit about a homeless guy who had been a veteran, who was a veteran rather. He had lost one arm um, in battle and, and showed up at my friend Mike's church um, and said to him, could I possibly put a tent in your backyard and live there? And so the people at this Nazarene church said, we don't want you to live in a tent in the backyard. They got very involved in Wilson's life and they helped Wilson to get an apartment and they moved him into this apartment. And he lived there for several years. And as Wilson got older, he became so much a part of that church family and he became very ill. And Mike said, I was concerned about Wilson because he wasn't in church on Sunday. And so on Monday, I went to check on him Monday morning at that little apartment he had been living in so long. And I knocked on the door and Wilson didn't answer. And by the time Mike got somebody to get him in Wilson's apartment, there they found Wilson had passed away in the night. And Mike said what was kind of neat was that at the funeral, all the church people came. It's a church of maybe 150. He said, but they all came. The whole church came. And he said, what was kind of sad was that nobody else came. Nobody else. And what happened over those years was the church became Wilson's family. And the church became the people that loved him and the people that cared for him and the people that worried about him and the people that helped him and the people that encouraged him. 
The church became Wilson's family. And so Paul says, if we're going to talk a little bit about your relationships with each other, can I just encourage you to love one another? Would you worry about each other? Would you care for each other? Would you invest in one another? Would you help each other grow in this journey of faith? Would you please study the Bible together? Would you please spend time in praying for one another? Would you hold each other accountable? Would you just love one another? You know, if you come to church this morning saying, Rick, I need some good Christian instruction. I need to know how to live this Christian life. Paul says, okay, you want some Christian instruction? I'll give you some Christian instruction. Love each other. Invest in each other's lives. Annette and I were not with you last Sunday. We were in Indianapolis and we were at the um, General Assembly. And by the way, I just got to pause for a quick minute and just brag and celebrate a little bit about the fact that David Busick was elected general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene. Aren't we excited about David? You know, you had a part in that. You invested in his life for a lot of years. And I feel very encouraged when I think about the future of the church and a, and a man like David Busick leading our church. Um, I'm just excited. And I thought we ought to take a minute just to celebrate what God is doing in the Church of the Nazarene. I was walking around through this exhibit uh, the other day and, and my friend was with me and he introduced me to a guy and he says, oh, you got you to gotta tell Rick your story. This guy's been a Christian for about five years or so. And so he told me a story. It's not a bad way for you to share your faith with people. Tell them your story. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. Here's how Jesus changed me. In fact, if I were you, I would just become really good at telling your story. Just get to a place where I can tell my story in a heartbeat. I can tell my story to anybody. And in telling your story, you can share Christ. That's really a great way to engage in a faith conversation. Here's what happened in my life. And so here this guy is. I've never met him before. He starts telling me a story. He says, I was raised in a great Christian home. My mother is a saint. But I did not follow the way of my family. In fact, I was far from God. I had no regard for God. I just did not live my life to honor God in any way. So when he was in his early 50s, he's done. He's tired. He's had enough. And he gives his life to Jesus. And so he says, a couple of days after I gave my life to the Lord, I went over to my mom's to tell her. And I said to her, I got to get a Bible. I don't have a Bible, but I really want to be reading the Bible. She goes, no, you don't want to buy a Bible. You want to take one of my Bibles. And so she goes and gets him one of her Bibles, this Bible that she has read for years, one of her Bibles that she has underlined and highlighted and written in the margins. And she said, if you take my Bible, it's got all this stuff underlined and highlighted and there's stuff written in the margins. You need to read my Bible because this would be a help to you. As a new Christian, I want you to take one of my Bibles. And so he said, I started reading my mother's Bible. And I kept finding in my mother's Bible these little pieces of paper, very small pieces of paper. They had scripture verses written on them. But they were faded. Some of them you could barely read because it was all faded. It looked like to me that maybe it had been put in a washing machine or something. So the next time I saw my mom, I said, Mom, there's all these 
little pieces of paper in your Bible that you gave me. And there's these scripture verses written on them, but there's lots of them tucked in the pages. And, and it looks like maybe that they got washed in a washing machine or something. She said they weren't put through a washing machine. All these years, she said, I prayed for you. That you would come to know Jesus. And she said, I would get up in the mornings and I would open God's word and he would give me promises in his word. And I would write those verses down and I would put those verses in the bottom of my shoe. And all day long, I would stand on the promise of God's word and believe that he was going to save your soul. <laughs> No, they didn't go through a washing machine. I stood on those verses and I believe God was going to get a hold of your heart. And look at what God has done for you. So Paul says, I know we've been talking about our relationship with God. And I know we've been talking about your relationships with one another. Do you mind if we talk just for a few minutes about your relationships with people who don't know Jesus? And so he says it this way, lead a quiet life. Not only do you want you to lead a quiet life, but mind your own business. I got an amen off that one. I'm getting a hand clap right there. (laughs) And then you know what he says? Work with your hands. Why would he say work with your hands? You understand that these new believers became very excited about the fact that Jesus Christ was going to come back again. And they actually just quit their jobs and started waiting for Jesus to come back. And he says, don't do that. Go back to work. We don't know when he's coming. And so you don't want to become dependent on anybody. If you can work, you ought to work. Don't let anybody pay your way. Don't become dependent on anybody. If you can work, you need to get up in the morning and you need to go to work. And you need to live a quiet life and you need to mind your own business. Because these people are watching your life. You want to win the respect of the outsiders. You want to do a good job in living that example before them. Let let me remind you of something, okay? Do Do you remember that Paul is in Thessalonica? He was only there three weeks, right? If you go to Acts chapter 17 and you read about him going there, here's what it says. It says... Paul, as was his custom, went to the synagogue. And there he began to talk to them about Jesus being the Messiah. So you understand that Paul's strategy for evangelism was that he went to the synagogue. He began to have conversations with people about Jesus. That was his strategy. That was his method of evangelism. What is your strategy? So what's your strategy? How do you talk to people about Jesus? A few years ago, Annette and I would have told you, the soccer field is our strategy. That's where we meet people that don't know the Lord. That's where we invest in their lives. That's where we get to know them. That's where we invite them into our lives. That's where we invite them into faith conversations. That's where we invite them to church. And now we would tell you we're just scrambling, trying to find people anywhere we can to invest our lives in, invite them into faith conversations, and invite them into our lives and invite them into our church. Just anywhere we can find folks. 
we find it a challenge. We hang around people like you all the time. And we have to work hard to make friendships with people who don't know Jesus. So, I think that I'm hearing Paul very well. He says, live your life to please God. Repeat the phrases after me, okay? Then he says this. He says, live a holy life. Love one another. Win the respect of outsiders. I think that's what he's saying here. Live your life to please God. So live a holy life. Love one another and win the respect of outsiders. It's not about religion. It's not about keeping rules. It's about a relationship with God. And it's about our relationships with each other. And it's about our relationships with others. Don't make it complicated. It's simple. You know, I've loved over these last few weeks. I've been, uh, come on up Christian. I've been... Uh, Talking about ending our time together in prayer. So why don't you, why don't you stand with me and let's prepare to do that. I, I, I wonder this morning if there's people who would say to me, Rick, I'm, I'm on a level with you. Paul's words this morning have kind of hit me right between the eyes. I mean, I, I've, I've let some things happen in my life. And, and I've got so much busyness in my life that many mornings I get up and I head out the door and I spend no time talking to the Father I spend no time in His Word all day long. And, and sometimes I would just blame that on, on time. We just don't have time. We've conformed to our culture of busyness. Or, or maybe you would say, I, I'm not really investing in anybody. I'm not really pouring my life into anybody. I'm not discipling anybody. And I'm not even putting myself in a position to be discipled by somebody. Or, or, or maybe you would say, I'm not, I'm not spending my energy trying to share Jesus with others. If it were up to me, the world is just going to be lost because I'm not, I'm not investing in anybody. I got a feeling there's a few of them in the room who are saying, Rick, I, I think I'm doing pretty good in my relationship with God. And, and I think I'm doing pretty good in my relationships with other believers. And I think I'm working pretty hard to see people come to know Jesus. You know what Paul would say to you? Then do it all the more. Just keep doing it. And answer that phone, somebody, would you? Or hang it up or something. My goodness. It may be in your pocket. I don't know. <laughs> this morning you might be saying, Hey Rick, you're talking about sharing Jesus with people. I don't know Jesus. I'm right here. Hello, I'm hearing everything you're saying. I, I would invite you this morning to come and pray if you would like. And a simple prayer that says, Jesus, come into my heart. Please forgive me of my sins. I want to live the life that I've been hearing about this morning. It may be you're going through a difficult time and you want to come by yourself or as a family and pray. You can do that this morning. Maybe you want to be anointed and prayed for. There'll be pastors here to pray with you and to anoint you. Maybe your heart is just full of praise. And you can't imagine God being any better to you. And you're just so blessed. And you want to come and just give God thanks and praise.
I, I just think about those of you who are in the room who love somebody that is far from God. And you want to come and you want to pray for them. And so we'll, we'll pray together before we go. Christian's going to sing. And, and as we're singing, if you want to come here and pray or if you want to pray where you are, I invite you to come. And let's spend some time talking to the Father before we go. Let's sing. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.